Welcome to the social medium. No, I'm not a medium, but I do love different mediums, like social media and podcasting. You may know me from Savar Vive by JJ or My Beauty Fuel Food by JJ. Now I am a business founder and entrepreneur. Take three, let's do this. So I am super psyched because finally this afternoon, I have the pleasure of interviewing Melissa, who is the co-founder of Frame Fitness, if I'm not mistaken, uh, created Frame with your husband, right? I did, yes. So we are co-founders and um, I was the designer of the Frame Reformer. Do you want to tell a little bit about what Frame Fitness is to those who don't know? Because I mean, I think that this is just like the coolest invention ever. And I think that a lot of people will totally agree if they don't know of it yet. For sure. So um, in simplified terms, we are a disruptive revolutionary Pilates machine. I really wanted to focus on simplifying over the 20 years I've been a Pilates instructor and I've worked on various different types of reformers, the common denominator was always apprehension, fear, intimidation. So in designing, this is my subsequent industrial design. So I actually had created an original Pilates reformer. It was very different. It was much more cumbersome and it was definitely just designed for studio. This reformer was going to be disruptive in the way that I felt I had this this really strong feeling that it was going to transcend the way Pilates was practiced. And the reason why I say that is because prior to this reformer, people didn't really put Pilates reformers in their homes or their gyms. And if the odd person, like, you know, less than 0.5% potentially had a private instructor and they had um, placed a reformer in their home, they still couldn't do any sequencing or exercises or any Pilates in general on it without the instructor being present. That is very true. And I never thought about it that way. Um, I am lucky enough that I have a reformer studio literally in front of my apartment. But if before that, I never did reformer ever. And now that I've tried it, I'm in love with it. But... I mean, I don't know whether this is something that you guys worked on with with building out the the actual machine, but you know, also reformer Pilates can be something that's quite expensive for people as well, especially over time. Like the reformer classes are always more than you know that class because the reformers themselves are probably super expensive. They are. They're an expensive um, piece of equipment, and classes often are around forty dollars a class, and that's when you're in a class with fifteen, eighteen, twenty people. What is the difference between uh, the frame reformer and a reformer, like a traditional Pilates reformer? The differentiation, the main differentiation between the frame reformer and let's use balanced body um, would be that we developed a dual spring technology. So by integrating a second set of springs that you can engage on the opposite side of the platform, you can do a plethora of additional moves that otherwise you cannot do on any traditional reformers. So okay, so it's like you get the mega, a, a little bit of like the mega reformer as well as the for a balanced body type reformer. Exactly. So funny enough, I was a Legree, a mega form instructor for years. Ah. Yeah, and I also worked with Balanced Body. I was one of their ambassadors, and I did my training with Balanced Body um, and Megaformer later on. 
And I actually put a few balance body Allegro twos in some of my clients' homes. Um, and again, one of the things that really was always something that I focused on was the fact that my clients who had, you know, been coming to me, or rather I was going to them yeah. for years, over five years, if I was not in front of that Pilates reformer, they would not attempt it. And these mm-hmm. are people who understand their craft. So I feel like there was always that level of an intimidation. And without the instruction, people are less inclined to just do it on the, on their own. Is there a sequence that goes with the reformer or is it only on the mat? No. Okay. So the great thing about what we're doing and one of the reasons why I wanted to do it the way we did it, Pilates in general, um, when we perceive mat Pilates as not complicated, that's not true. The sequences are just as complicating. The cues, there's heavy verbal cueing. Form is always something that's um, integral to uh, the Pilates workout and what you're trying to achieve from the Pilates workout. It's low impact. And so because the absence of the, the machinery, which people deem and perceive as complicated, or even torture chamberous or archaic or whatever it is, that's where the disconnect is because Pilates in general is, there is heavy cueing, but if you just take all those, let's say simplistic or more simplistic mat moves and you transition them onto the reformer, it's not harder in the sense of in following instruction, it actually just becomes harder from a cardiovascular perspective your mm. body knows that you're now elevated so you're much more in tune to every movement the impact is actually much less when you're on a reformer because a lot of the moves and the gliding of the carriage and the platform are absorbing a lot of the impact that otherwise your feet would be getting on the floor so i think it's a lot of it's a perception shift that has to happen um but sequencing in general it really just depends on what type of class you're teaching. So I could teach a more traditional or a contemporary class and it will um, look very different than the way I teach my cardiovascular infused um, p- uh, power Pilates classes. But yeah, times instructors have all the designations and, and the ability to teach many different types of Pilates. But prior to that, they had been very segregated. So I also feel that frame reformers in a unique opportunity to um, consolidate the market that otherwise has been very um, divided. That makes total sense. Yeah, I feel like one thing that's, I mean, at least for me, and I feel like I've talked to others that have had this similar breakthrough, it's like Pilates seems really easy if you're not doing it right. Like when you're doing it right, it's actually so freaking hard. Even the mats, like the mat stuff, especially because the reformer, I mean, you can kind of like fake it, but it's a little bit more difficult. Whereas the mat, yeah, it's like if you're not engaging the right things, it becomes a completely different uh, experience. So I have um, to disagree. So I have to. I disagree. I have to vehemently, not just disagree, but I have to vehemently disagree. If you're doing the moves, I mean, you can cheat on the floor or on the reformer. So if you're going to do a little cheat where all of a sudden you're placing, you're supposed to be in an isometric hold and you, you know, drop your um, forearms down to your legs and you take a, a, a rest, you can do that on the floor, you can cheat, or you can do it on the reformer. But the reformer actually makes it much 
less easy to cheat because there's movement and because like, so this is the first thing I say. If somebody had never done um, reformer Pilates, but they have a little bit of an athletic background, I'll ask them to do 10 squats on the floor. And they're like, oh, simple. I've been doing this, you know, for years. So they do. And obviously I'm looking at the muscular skeletal system, making sure their body mechanics are right. So they do 10 squats and they kind of look at me like, okay, that was easy. What's next? And then I ask them to do the exact same simplistic foundational move on a Pilates performer. I ask them to put a left foot on the platform, a right foot's going to go on the carriage. I always make sure there's a light spring. So I'm not just going to like, otherwise it would be very challenging. And then I ask them to do 20 squats within three seconds. Their like face, their facial expression is like, oh my God, this is crazy. What's going on? What are these muscles that otherwise I didn't just feel a moment ago? So when you have the instability of being elevated, a, from a physiological perspective, your body becomes so much more in tune because you don't want to fall over. You're very much aware of your body placement in space or in time. And then doing those same moves with the identical uh, body mechanics, now you have stabilizer um, stabilizers, uh, which are little muscles, let's say in the adductor area, abductor, adductor, inner thigh, outer thigh pelvic floor that are engaged in a way that you can never target and achieve on the floor in the same way. Well, I'm really glad that I said that because I totally just... <laughs> and want to do the test with you. So also, you know, more on like the personal level, how did you and your husband start to work together and how did this project come to fruition? Um, okay, so husband and I, my first time designing where I actually was flying back and forth. So I'm from Toronto, Canada. And nice. I sought out an industrial designer who is located in New York, who is actually one of the original Pel uh, Peloton designers. So he's one of the original industrial designers for Peloton. And I nice. said to him, um, I've been a Pilates instructor for years and I'm looking to open up my own studio. However, I don't love what we have on the market. I, I mean, I'd been working with Balanced Body and Merit Hue, and they all just felt very archaic. Archaic in design. The shoulder pads are used misproperly. And 90% of the time, you know, you see instructors planking and holding and doing variations. And some of them are really fun, but that wasn't the initial intention of, of Joseph Pilates. It was really just re rehabilitative and supine work so you know you would lie down and your head would be wedged between those shoulder blocks but then i found when i was training and using my own allegro for clients that people were always overcompensating so they would engage their core less they would make sure they weren't even making sure that everything in the center was engaged in the line because they could stop the sliding on the carriage because their necks were wedged so, well, that also correlated to using heavier weight, doing footwork. And it was just something that I was like, huh, I don't really understand why it's still there. And then with, you know, the solid cores and the megaformers and the body rocks. So all those power-ish Pilates, cardiovascular infused, really tough workouts that still um, apply in very elemental Pilates exercises and I know they call themselves other things and they're trying to um, differentiate and disrupt in their own sector but they are all Pilates and um, I kind of liked how 
uh, there was innovation. So I sought out this designer and it was back in 2017, 2018. And it took a couple years. I designed my first 20 Pilates reformers, which were going in my brick and mortar. And um, it was very bespoke. Every piece of furniture in the brick and mortar was custom. I had gorgeous crown molding and custom Hermes wallpaper, which we flew in from Paris. Wow. I was super, super excited because I felt like um, at least in Toronto, all the Pilates studios and all the mega former studios kind of had a similar vibe, like a Barry's boot camp, like very red, um, got it. not really clean. I definitely didn't feel like a spa-like experience. So that's something I wanted to achieve. It took several years. I really fell in love with the iterative process of designing hardware, which I'm not sure many people would because it can be very um, strenuous. But that was essentially like a little light bulb went out and I was like, whoa, I'm like kind of inventive in the way I think. And um, so my studio ended up opening. We were sold out and busy for a couple months and then the pandemic happened. So the studio got shut down and everybody around me was really disappointed. A lot of my client base was super, super upset. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if it was just meant to be. Um, I'm very spiritual and I felt like I was receiving like not downloads, but I was I was being told that this was serendipitous, that this was meant to be. Um, and I literally didn't even take a day or two off. Um, we're home in the pandemic, kids are everywhere, studio was just closed, everybody around me is expressing all this like frustration and sadness. And I was like just so focused on wow, I had this idea. I didn't really explore it. I started to preliminarily explore it with the industrial designer I'd first worked with, but I didn't elaborate because building out a studio that was like 4,000 square feet was just so time consuming. I'm and then sure. training instructors and, and there was a method and there was, it was just so much. So all of a sudden I had one day of just peaceful, sort of like not meditative, but I've just kind of like knew that I had a plan before the plan actually had solidified in my mind. Ne- next day I woke up and I said, oh, I'm going to create a home version of this. And Lee, my husband was like, mm, I don't know how I feel about startup after startup. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember the pandemic happened March, 2020, but I started designing this reformer, the first one in 2017. So it was already three years. And that is a long time. It's a long time. So he's like, I don't really know how I feel about a startup after a startup. And luckily, I had already had a sketch of this concept I had. And we shared it with one of Lee's friends who is a very, very successful CFO that had just um, facilitated in selling a company for, you know, like a couple billion. Yeah. Very, very it's a big successful situation. He, he very totally different field. Um, but... Either way, he was pretty harsh with me. And he said, you're showing me a picture. Where's the business plan? I'll never forget that moment because with my studio, it was very much like mom and pop. I did have an angel investor. I did have forecasts, but it was it was very much a passion project. And then I just really delved deep into industrial design. And that's kind of where I lost myself. And then I you know, had allocated um, in, in, uh, designers to help 
And that part was fun, but it was really, really just about the machine. So when we had presented my home version, my, my variation from my first performer, he looked and he goes, okay, so I'm looking at a sketch. I was like, yeah, that's, this is my idea. And he was like, well, where's this plan? Like really abruptly and kind of like, uh, okay. Like do you have any times people want to create a business and they just show me a picture or a sketch of something? I think that's such a a normal thing. Like, I mean, when I started my business, I didn't have a business plan. It's like, I feel like you're either one school or the other. Like, you're either like, you have it all like so under wraps or like you actually are like, holy shit, I'm actually not, I, I didn't think about that part. I think that maybe if you are a, a creative, if you, if the propensity for your creative side of your brain takes over, you probably focus on all the creative aspects prior to the other. But I think the sweet spot is a combination of both, obviously. Um, mm. Because this didn't deter me. I was just like, oh, okay, um, that makes sense. And he's like, blueprint, you need a blueprint and a business plan. So I put my design aside and I actually didn't start uh, prototyping because the prototyping is hundreds of thousands of dollars. You seldomly get it right the first three or four times. It's it's a huge risk from a financial perspective. It's a risk if you find investors to believe in this prototyping phase. Um, but I knew that I had to create the blueprint of the business before even moving forward. Um, because I also knew what I had ahead of me because I had just designed reformers. Although what I didn't realize is those three years prepped me in such a way that I had so much more knowledge than I did when I was starting fresh. And that really allowed the... Um, subsequent to design to move um, definitely more expeditiously and just with so much confidence because I could sit in a room with industrial designers and engineers and I can and I can talk and feel comfortable and feel heard. The That's first time, cool. Less so. <laughs> yeah. The fair. first time it was less like that. It's so different. Like it's so, they're like two completely different parts of your brain, I'm sure. No, or not at all. Yes. No, you are totally right. So I actually studied psychology. So I'm a psychology major. I went to the University of Toronto. Um, so even though some can perceive me as creative and spiritual, which I am both of those, I have a very um, pragmatic dominant mind as well. Um, so much so much so that when I was studying university, a few of my professors told me, that I should be a lawyer. And I was like, absolutely not. But my mind does work very well in a pragmatic sense. And so I think that I sort of discovered the sweet spot. You don't have to be just one or the other. You can pull apart the really um, fundamental and the, um, I guess, like the necessary aspects about your personality and it's fine if it differs from somebody who's you know primarily just left brain or somebody who's primarily just right i feel like i was very lucky and i think there's probably many people like me we can uh sort of toggle between the two for sure and i mean speaking of you know toggling between the two and you know what your initial background was is uh how did you start teaching pilates 
So I, I was always an athlete. Um, I uh, was receiving um, scholarships at a very young age to renowned ballet schools. Age nine, I got a scholarship to the National School of Ballet. It's one of the most renowned ballet schools in North America. Um, oh, well. Maybe. I was uh, a provincial soccer player. I would I would say that I've always had that athletic inclination. It's been a part of, I think, from the time I was like three years old. I was just like, I wasn't, I, I wasn't necessarily a tomboy or if we even use that term anymore, but I was just like, I played on the boys soccer team when I was 12 because I was too fast and too aggressive to play with the females. Wow. That's pretty crazy. And that was like high up competitive. Um, so I was always an athlete and um, I became a personal trainer when I was really young, actually the first year of university, because a lot of my friends were getting jobs as bartenders or waitresses. And I thought I would be most happy doing something that I still always felt passionate about. So I got a job as a personal trainer. I did a course. It wasn't an overly extensive course. And I trained evenings, I think a couple evenings a week and Saturday. And that was um, how I helped to pay for university and all the fun things you do the first couple of years. So you have on the platform, you you record the episodes on the Upper East Side. And so you have a variety of different teachers from kind of like all around North America, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. So we have right now amassed 175 pre-recorded classes. Wow. We are, yeah. And it's so like, it's, it's the best. Like, it's so fun. Um, I am looking to add another 50 um, I think we're scheduling, we're actually in the early stages of scheduling right now. There's a lot of maneuvering and a lot of different instructors. We have like 11 instructors and nobody's from the same place other than we have two from LA. So there's a lot of coordinating, but we're looking to add another 50. And then we want to be able to do that every several months because our goal is that our users never get bored and that there's going to be an abundance or plethora of content and that we can. So when we look at the way our user interface filters. If you want to just do a lower body 30 minutes, you should be able to do a low body 30 minutes. We want it to be very intuitive. Almost feel like you're really select you're you're in the front seat of your workout. So yeah, you may want to do a full body intensive and that's what you chose. But if one day you're feeling like, you know what? My upper body is really, really sore from two days ago. I don't really know what I was doing. I was picking up too many books. You could actually just isolate aspects of your body and then really focus on those. It sounds really like a dream come true. I mean, I really <laughs> want to try it. And um, we just sent one to the UK. So maybe oh, we can get really? one to Paris. <laughs> I kind of always like asking this question because I think that it's really important Um you know, I interview a lot of female entrepreneurs and I think that, you know, really defining that balance between like work and home life and, you know, also you like like me as well are spiritual. You know, what is the key for you to really stay balanced in your in your life? Because, you know, I know it can be so demanding to be we're pulled in so many directions every single day. And, you know, from all different kinds of, you know, all the different spaces of your mind that you're working with, you know, hardware and Pilates and being a mom and being a wife and being a friend and software <laughs> hardware and software it's like a, it's like an add-in doozy 
Yeah. What are some of your keys for staying grounded and staying balanced? Um, so I think balance is something that I am still elusively trying to achieve if I am being totally honest. I hear and I talk about this balance um, from other mom entrepreneurs. I know that I, I just um, did an interview with SaaS, SaaSpreneurs or entrepreneurs who like mompreneurs. And I just... I just haven't quite figured out the formula yet. Now, there's many reasons for this. I think that when you're launching um, something of this magnitude and there is the complexity of hardware and software and we were able to go to market on a seed funding company, all those things are 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 fairly rare. So when I look at other market comps or other, you know, the competitive landscape, I notice that a lot of these other companies, you know, they hired tens and of, if not 20 of people before they were launching in market or they had done a sequential raise. Like we've been able to achieve so much on so little. I mean, we did do a 5 million seed round, which is considered large, but when you look at our product, it's actually not. Um, so I've so so basically all that transparently it adds up to I'm doing everything and I'm constantly working. So for me, having three kids is very challenging because I'm constantly traveling. So to give further insight, in the last month I've been to China and back. I've been wow. to LA twice, New York, and then just Miami last Thursday. That's a lot. It's a lot. And this is not atypical for my travel. So we flew to Shaman, which was like, you know, a 22 hour day. And I was in the factory on the line with my white gloves, making sure I was like quality control, <laughs> CEO, designer, female quality control. And then um, we also have factories in California. So I flew, flew twice just to make sure everything is perfect. And, you know, it's it's my baby and it's new and we're finally in market. And there's a lot of excitement associated with that, but there's also a lot of work. So I will have my kids fly out to certain areas. So I just had all three of them in Miami for five days where we spent time together. I'm still working. They're always annoyed that my laptop is everywhere. It's by the pool. Um, but it's, it's really just trying to find moments and also incorporating work so that my kids don't feel there's a competition and that's much more challenging said than done. But my, my kids, I think, cause they've seen us grow this from a pre blueprint, mm -hmm. <laughs> just a sketch uh, there's a lot of um, excitement and they almost feel like they're a part of it, which makes it really easy for me because then it's not like, oh, mommy's work that we don't really know about. And like, we're not like they're They feel like they're a part of it. Like my middle daughter does reformer classes like a couple days a week. That's um, so sweet. Yeah. My eldest is like, will walk up to me and say, you know, I was looking at your social and I think that we should add a recipe. And oh, so, oh, that's so fun. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of, it happened. I don't know if it was something that I strategically wanted to do, but I just knew 
that when I hear about real work-life balance and shutting the computer off at eight, like that, that, that is just not realistic when you're launching a really big business the first two years. I think also, I mean, for me, I'm not shutting my phone off at 8 p.m. because I'm dealing with the UK and Australia and India. We also, it's really difficult when, and it it sounds really cliche, but I feel like when it's what you live, it's so true. Like when what you do is what you love, it's really hard to shut it off because it it doesn't feel like it's something, I mean, obviously there are boundaries, but there, there are some, it's also wanting to have that as a part of your everyday life and um so it that sounds like a really like i feel like that's a really good um a really good way of sharing you know your how you balance because it's like you incorporate it into your other you incorporate the interesting and the fun stuff into your other parts of life so that you know it there's a global understanding of like why it is so important to you and how it can be fun for them too if that makes any sense no that's exactly it so um like further to that Um, I'm a mom and I feel the distance when I'm traveling and the kids aren't with me. So when we were shooting in New York a couple weeks, no, a couple months ago, um, for one week, we had both our three-year-old and our six-year-old on set with us. And uh, the following week, we had our 11-year-old who, um, you know, at night I took her to shows during the day. They were, they felt like they were helping to, they were talking to the instructors. They were helping to dress them. They're like obsessed with our makeup artist. So it's like, I have to be here. How do I do this in a way where my kids don't feel a massive void of their parents, particularly because their mother's a CEO Uh and it's just incorporating them as much as possible. And is it sort of a decentralized approach at life? Yes. Do my kids' schools get frustrated that they travel a lot? Like when I did the event with Poosh, like Courtney Kardashian's Poosh in October, I flew every single one of my kids down and they spent two weeks in LA while we prepped for it. That's so cool. I'm sure they loved that. Yeah, they tutor online and they're with us and they're, it's just, you know, it's, again, I haven't found the quote unquote proper balance. This is just my balance. And then for me, when I am traveling, um, maintaining my own sanity because kids are also a lot of work. Like we don't want to put them in this category where it's like so fictitious that, oh, having them around is so nice. Like, well, we had a CNN correspondent in a couple of weeks ago and Bo, my three-year-old, jumped on her. <laughs> and then I had to be She was about to do like a demo of the reformer. And oh my she God. was actually fabulous because she was like, I have a kid. This is so funny. He would love to be at work with me. But like these things happen. So the way I maintain my groundedness is I meditate really strongly. Like I'm such an advocate of meditation. I do it 20 minutes every morning. It's the first thing I do. When I open my eyes, I go right into a meditation. I really should do the same. I think that that's really meditation. I feel like it's one of those kind of things to either have a really good routine or you wish you did. And how did you get your routine of, of getting into doing 20 minutes of meditation every morning? So I just talked, I just talked to a girlfriend about this, um, like a a couple of weeks ago and she was saying she's a really similar personality in the sense that she's type A, she's a lawyer. She was explained to me that when she tries to calm her mind, she creates lists in her head and thus gets distracted and then defeats the purpose. And anybody who's sort of a type A personality, 
you know, they don't like idle mind. They, they want to be able to do things. They could be doing things. They could be proactive. I said to her, you just start slowly because it's a skill and it's not an easily acquired skill. It's like anything else, but calming the mind is one of the most challenging things. And I think one of the reasons why, why I walk out on the street, if I were to ask 10 people, why only maybe one of 10 would actually be engaging in daily meditation, not having any expectations, knowing your mind is going to wander and then finding really good guided meditations that you feel resonate. And after you know, 10, you'll notice on the 11th time that your mind is wandering less to where it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So you got to put a little effort in, but now I'm to the point where if I don't meditate because I'm traveling or I have crazy meetings, I feel off. I've heard that a lot. It must be, it must be a real thing that happens because a lot of people do say that it's like their day is completely different if they don't meditate. Oh, it, it, I, I strongly agree with, with that statement because I personally feel it's like how people feel if they don't work out, if they're used to walking and then all of a sudden that's taken away for whatever reason, your body becomes accustomed, but your mind is the strongest part of your entire body. And so if you could really control that aspect when it comes to minimizing anxiety, um, being able to reshift a mind frame. Um, our minds are our most valuable tool. And so, so your meditation is, is really like your key for one of your keys for state balance. I love that. Yeah. So last question, what are the next steps for frame? So many steps. So we, have such an amazing opportunity and it's ripe for disruption we originally were entirely focused on a b to c model so business to consumer and we're loving all of our early adopters who engaged in a pre-order and we literally did zero marketing so we sold 500 pre-orders wow for a very specific timeline so we would have a pre-order open for a week and then it would close and not open for months and I strongly believe in that model because I think that our first 500 early adopters are going to be very, very important to frame. They're going to be important to help uh, helping us understand what they want more of, what they want less of. Iterating in real time, to me, uh, positively correlates and just like when you think about a business and longevity and you want a business to last, you have to be able to make a change if a change is required in real time or in almost as real time. Yeah. You never hear it. And so I think that these initial early adopters are very, very important. Um, But what we're seeing, and it's also very exciting, but what we're seeing now is businesses, the B2B, everybody wants a piece of frame. So whether we're talking about like, you know, five-star hotel chains all around the world or um, certain spas that also offer gyms, um, regular gyms, everybody wants the ability to offer a Pilates class that doesn't require a human standing there. Yep. That makes sense. And when we had done, so you know, initially when I had launched this concept, I was backed by the biggest people in fitness, like the founder of 24 hour fitness, the CEO of crunch worldwide, the largest manufacturer of fitness equipment in the world. He owns Nautilus, Schwinn, Star Trek, um, wow. 
he's just huge. And they all asked me, what do you like, what do you see for frame? And I'm like, well, I, 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 it's not a simple question. I see so much, but what I do see is that a very small percentage of people are doing reformer Pilates because it's either in a, in a really busy class where you're not even getting the um, attention to detail that you can, because as an instructor, I, I taught large classes and if somebody's in an improper move or they're compressing their lumbar spine and there's 18 other people in the class, I'll literally find the one person that could potentially injure themselves and I'll rush them and everybody else is ignored for the rest of the exercise. That's uh-huh. just, that's just the reality of group fitness. It is not dissimilar for Barry's boot camp or those climbing classes or any hit classes. I mean, it's not one-on-one. One-on-one is very, very expensive and it's not really sustainable past a couple sessions so what are we doing we're almost coming in like 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 a treadmill in a facility where anybody could jump on it and engage with the workout and our ui our design is so beautiful it is so gorgeous we use real raw wood all around i love the shape of it i want it to feel like a piece of furniture because i know that space is not always space is a premium so if you want if you want to have it in your living room, it actually looks like a beautiful piece of art. Like in Miami, in my place in Miami, it sits in my living room and I love it. I would never even change it. It like adds to the vibe. Yeah. But having said that, you could still put it in a designated gym and that's also cool. Maybe you'd go midnight, like the darker colorway. You know, I, I think it's beautiful and, you know, congratulations. I, I really think it's such a cool innovation and I'm so glad we got the chance to talk today. And uh, it was so lovely meeting you. And I hope, you know, I see a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities here in Paris. So, you know, next time you're in town. Yeah. So I may have to do a little market research. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me.